If you're looking for success, it's in the details. Small hinges move big doors. And now your host, Karen Allen. Hello, beautiful human, and welcome back to another episode of In the Details. I'm your host, Karen Allen. As many of you know, I am a firm believer that small shifts can lead to big changes. I've seen this evidence in my own life, in my clients' lives, friends, family. So of course, when I saw the Tiny Habits Academy, I was immediately intrigued. The Academy is run by a brother-sister team, and today I have the pleasure of speaking with the sister in this dynamic (laughs) duo, Linda Fogg Phillips, also known as the brawn behind the Tiny Habits programs. Linda, welcome. Well, thank you, Karen. I'm so excited to be here with you today, especially as we embark on a new year and hopefully a new you for all of us, right? Yes, absolutely. Some people are like, oh, well, no, I'm the same old me. Well, are you evolving? Are are you evolving? Because that's what we're talking about. (laughs) Now, I'm curious to work with a sibling is is very interesting. As a child, did you ever think that you would be in business with your brother? I never did. But you know, it's so much fun. I'm the oldest of seven children. BJ, my brother that I work with, is the third out of the seven. So we do have a brother in between us Mm -hmm. and several, you know, siblings, sisters and brothers below us or behind us, I guess I should say. That's probably the right thing. But even as children, we always enjoyed each other. We always got along. And so uh, having the opportunity to work with him is just such a joy. But I never guessed that that would be where I would end up. And when I say end up, that's the path that we're on now. And I do see this going on indefinitely because we make a really good team. You know, he's brilliant. He does a lot of the research. He does all the research behind the tiny habits method. As you know, he's a behavior scientist at Stanford. And uh, I, even though he's my younger sibling, I have learned so much from him. I feel like every day that I'm working with him, I'm in an advanced level grad class. Oh my gosh, that's really pushing me. <laughs> I love that. If it works, right, then you just keep moving forward with it, keep evolving together. And I honestly, I don't know how many siblings would be able to say that they can work together, let alone have that long-term sustainability factor in play, <laughs> which I think is absolutely beautiful. Now, BJ isn't here with us today, but we're just going to brag on him a little bit. What would you say is the greatest strength? Obviously, the research plays a huge component in the success of the Tiny Habits Academy. Uh, But what would you say is the greatest strength that he brings to this duo? Well, obviously he is brilliant. Even as a young child, he would sit in my mom's rocking chair and rock for hours. And you knew that he was just thinking and processing. His brain was probably going, even as a young child, a million miles a minute. He also, his reading literature as a child was the Encyclopedia Britannica. No. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, he's a normal guy, but he is... God gifted a brilliant brain. He has the ability to see complex processes and make them really simple and understandable for the rest of us. Mm. And so that's really the greatest strength is his ability. And that's where I say, you know, I feel like I'm in a grad class as I work with him every single day because the way that he thinks mm-hmm. really challenges the rest of us to think at that level as well and to really explore and learn. I would say, and I'm going to tag on to this, you know, simply because. He is an academic, but he's not the typical academic. Mm -hmm. Uh, The other great feature or other great piece that BJ brings to the Tiny Habits Academy and to what we do together is he helps other people feel successful. He is uh, very personable. He's very caring. He's very loving. And he's very encouraging. And he's approachable. Most academics are up at that upper level and, you know, 
sometimes they're not approachable. BJ is very approachable and he really wants to do good in the world. And that's where we align. We both want to make a difference and do good. Mm -hmm. So as far as what he brings, it's it's his sheer brilliance and his ability to relate to people. Well, this episode is uh, is mostly about you, but we had to give some love to BJ as well. (laughs) I actually, last month I was looking at what is my word going to be my intention going Mm -hmm. to be for this year. I had fun doing a little bit of research. I was looking up rare words with beautiful meanings and I stumbled on the word elucidate, which means to simplify complex ideas so that they are easy to explain and digest and understand. And that's something that I found I enjoy doing as well. I mean, listen. I am not, I'm not a professor at Stanford. I'm not a researcher by any means. I am not an academic, but, but I found that, you know, the work that we are in this sandbox that is very similar around how do we change our behavior so that we can fill in the goal, right? So that we can live our best life. So we can feel more alive. So we can change certain things, what have you. It can often feel very complex and also very arduous. Like, gosh, that's going to be a a hard road ahead. I don't know if I can do that. And so I found that people actually feel more confident when we are able to simplify these complex ideas and show them how to integrate it into their daily life, which is what I find fascinating about what you all have done at the Tiny Habits Academy. The way that you are presenting this information that yes, has research behind it. Absolutely. There's some complexity in there, especially as we're talking about how our brains are wired and how that translates into into, uh, our output, our behavior, our words, and so on. But when you really see how simple it can be when you break it down into what I like to call these little bite size or snack size nuggets. It really does help. I don't know if you've seen this with your students, but it helps them to feel more empowered and I guess motivated to pursue that change. Are you seeing the same thing on your end? Oh, yes, completely. In fact, What we measure week after week in our five-day tiny habits program is how people's confidence increases in creating Mm. habits. And that's really what is the key is that we have the confidence that we have the ability to make some certain, certain changes that we want in our lives. And as a result, when we are able to make those changes or when we learn how to tweak or improve, or even when we push ourselves beyond what we think our limits are Mm. and we're successful and we feel successful it helps us feel confident. That confidence is is really what drives us to do more and to continue to better ourselves. So yes, we see that. We see where the students that I teach typically are professionals that are using the tiny habits method with their clients. And we see that there's a ripple effect that when their clients feel confident, when they feel successful with creating new habits and changing other behaviors in their life, it ripples out to other areas of their life that they aren't necessarily focusing on, but that fall into place as well. So it's, it's really cool to see that. Oh, that's one thing that you and I chatted about uh, a little bit as we were uh, talking a few weeks ago and the power of the ripple effect mm-hmm. is incredible. And so we'll get a little more into the tiny habits, but I would really love to dive into your background. Now you haven't always been in human behavior. Give us a little bit of what the, the journey has been coming up to this point. Well, my journey has basically uh, been uncharted. <laughs> <laughs> One of those things where I know, and I'll get a little religious here, God really truly has been in the details of my life and has put me on the path that I'm on right now. And I know it's for a purpose. Mm -hmm. Now I have eight children. Yeah. I'm the oldest of seven. We have large families, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, in my families. 
I mean, I'm the oldest of seven. I had eight children. I thought I was only, and I shouldn't say only because it's the most challenging role in the world is that of being a mom. And that's all I really wanted to do is be a full-time mom and raise my children. For quite, for 26 years, I did have the privilege of doing just that. But then life sort of turned us upside down. My husband, we had a home building business here in Las Vegas and very successful private, small family-run home building business. And during the housing crisis here in the U.S., it wiped our business out. It really, you know, it, we, could, we did not have the bandwidth to withstand those storms. And in the midst of all of that, my husband was also diagnosed with early onset Alzheimer's. Mm-hmm. Now, had that not occurred, I knew that we'd be able to get back on our feet. My husband was a very successful businessman, but when he was diagnosed with Alzheimer's, it's like, okay, our life is going to be different. And that's when I needed to step up to the plate and start helping support my family. I still have children in college. I even had some children at home at that time. And so my role changed from being a full-time mom to also being a provider within my household because we lost everything in the, when we lost our home building business. We had to file chapter seven bankruptcy, which means we didn't have a red penny to our name. We started up, you know, it was like back after college days where you you really are building up your life and your future. And so, you know, here I was, uh, I think I was in my early fifties. Yeah. I, I think I was, yeah, I'm trying to remember how long um, that was just, you know, a few short years ago, actually, it goes really fast, but here I was faced with, okay, how am I going to rebuild my life? And BJ gave me the opportunity to step in and work with him. And yes, I haven't been in professionally in the human behavior uh, and habit formation world for a lot, for about 12 years now. But prior to that, I was, I was raising humans. I was, yes. humans developed you know, good habits experience ever. Yeah. <laughs> so I really, you know, having a household of eight children and my children are pretty close together. They're about a year and a half to two years apart. And yes, that was my choice. I wanted a large family. It really gave me in the trenches experience yeah. of how to help humans develop to be good people. Mm, I say that all the time, especially when I'm working with clients. I'm like the best practice you will ever have is going to be in your closest relationships. And the first one will probably be if you're a parent, your children, your children, (laughs) especially I think the biggest lesson that we have to learn as humans, you know, is, is that not everything is under our control. But our brain loves to feel like things are under control. It's why it's always trying to solve all these problems is we're trying to create this sense of security. But if parenting doesn't give you that wake up call, I don't know what will. (laughs) A very humbling process. (laughs) It is. It is. I always say, why don't these kids come with an owner's manual that I can just follow? And no no two kids are the same. I just hear tell you that. No two kids are the same. Yep. Yep. You know, remember that book, uh, what to expect when you're expecting. I'm like, but where is the book after they get here? (laughs) Tell me what to expect then. Yeah, exactly. Uh, The best, I guess, payback as a parent is when your kids start having kids and they come to say, mom, how did you do this? Yes. Yes. I have heard that from my parents when they see my son do something that is very similar to how I was as a child. They're like, oh, do you remember this? Do you remember this stage? Do you remember that moment? I'm like, okay, yes, I do. Getting it back a little bit. (laughs) And so you transitioned into the the Tiny Habits Academy. I, I know that one of the areas, again, 
so many similarities in our journeys, even though they are radically different. We're connected in many ways. And one is that we both became widowed at, you know, a young age. And honestly, if I if I think of widows like, oh, I'm a hundred plus, that that's when that kind of stuff happens. But for me, it was not that story for you as well. How did you navigate the different ebbs and flows as you were also trying to rebuild? I mean, I can only imagine the intensity that that period probably came with. Was there anything that you can remember specifically that helped you to navigate those hardships as you were trying to rebuild? Well, and, you know, this is the perfect segue for tiny habits because tiny habits is what pulled me through Mm -hmm. those darkest hours, those hard times. It it gave me something to hang on to and it gave me a a tool and a skill where I could design how I wanted to show up. Mm -hmm. And like you, I still had other children and responsibilities that even though, even if I was having a really rough day, I still needed to show up. I still needed to be productive. I still needed to be supportive. My children and, you know, my team members and and my clients, I needed to be there for them. And, you know, I've lost a son as well. I know you've experienced loss there as well. But one of the best ways to really exemplify how Tiny Habits has given me the strength and the courage to get up every day and to face the day in a positive mindset. You know, it's a lot about mindset. It's a lot about our belief systems and really knowing that, yeah, we do have the strength to get through hard things. We do have the ability to navigate through challenges that we face, maybe even little challenges or big challenges, such as losing a spouse or losing a business or really having to go a different direction in life than you anticipated and how to navigate that. I lost my son uh, in, in 2008 to an accidental Oxycontin overdose. And it was traumatic and it was tragic. We have, as you know, we, and as you can tell, we have a very close knit family. My children all are very close to each other and losing Garrett really was devastating to us. It put me in a funk or a depression or a state of apathy for years. Mm-hmm. I was at the point in life where I didn't even really have the desire to live. Mm-hmm. I wasn't suicidal, but it just, you know, all the light had gone out of my life. I, I you know, basically I didn't see color anymore. And not only that, even to this day, I don't listen to music. I don't know where that connection is to that loss of my son. I now do see color, but even music sometimes, it sounds like static to me. And it's because I think that experience of losing my son, I lost my son before my husband, really helped me want to plug into my thoughts and plug into what my heart was telling me. And with music and static, I felt like I I couldn't hear that. But as I was struggling with the loss of Garrett, and this is where BJ and I are so close and always have been so close and where he really, truly has been instrumental in my life to help me navigate some of these hardest times of my life. You know, we were talking on the phone and this was in the early days of the tiny habits method. And as we're talking, he knew I was struggling. He knew I, I was really having a hard time. And he said, hey, Linda, why don't you try this tiny habit and see if it helps you? And at that time, the habit didn't have a name. We now have named this habit as the Maui habit. But the, what he explained to me is he says, okay, tomorrow morning when you get up, when your feet hit the floor, I want you to say it's going to be a great day and then celebrate that. Now, celebration is part of the tiny habits method where you pull up your positive emotions or you use a positive emotion to reinforce that habit. Now, for me at that time, my celebration was simply a two thumbs up and saying, yes, I've got this or good job or way to go. Just reinforcing that behavior. Well, at that point in time, I thought, well, this is sort of silly. <laughs> you know, 
I do this? But also I thought, well, why not? You know, it's not going to take me any extra time to do this or really any extra effort. And so I thought, okay, I'll try this. BJ's pretty smart. So I'll follow his advice. Within three days of doing this habit, what happened was I had a huge shift of mindset. It took me out of the victim mode, the victim mindset, the poor me, why is this happening into the victor mode? What I was doing, I was, I was setting my intention for the day as I was waking up, as I was getting out of bed, it's going to be a great day. And then I was reinforcing that by releasing endorphins and dopamine by celebration. So I started my day off with a win. What I saw happening is as a result is I started looking for those great moments in my day. I started recognizing and creating moments that were great. Even though my days were hard, Mm -hmm. it helped me focus on the greatness and basically, you know, gratitude for those great moments in my day. And so that was, that's a habit. The Maui habit is a habit that I actually give credit to not just changing my life, but saving my life in many aspects because it helped me come back alive. It helped me realize that I had, I was in control of my day and how I faced my day was a choice. And every single morning, even this morning, years later, I'm still making that choice every morning to get up and say, it's going to be a great day and anticipating that to be fulfilled. Oh, it's so powerful because it is something that we talk about in in coaching, but in personal development is how you start your day matters. You have to start it with intention and take ownership. This is something I preach a lot, like own your life, own your thoughts. Don't just leave them to chance because if we do, this world is chaotic and extremely negative and it can, it can leave us feeling worn out if we don't take control of how we step into our days, which I think is beautiful. You know, what comes up for me though, because I know that this was something that I remember wrestling with. And I wonder if you did as well, when you said at first it's kind of hard is they're trying to find good while in the state of grief is very challenging. And I remember wrestling with guilt the first time I laughed at something or the first time I did feel like, I had a okay day or I, you know, any, any positive emotion, there was guilt that was behind that. And I worked through it. My way of pulling myself out uh, was really through gratitude at the end of the day and finding things to be grateful for. But what we're both saying here is holding on to the good, even when things are bad can be a lifesaver, a lifesaver. So how did you navigate that tension between looking for the good, but feeling the realities of grief? Oh, what a, such a good question. And also I want to dial in on guilt. Now we all feel guilt. Now I was raised in a very religious family. I still, you know, very religious. And unfortunately, sometimes in religion, they use guilt to motivate us to make changes. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think guilt is very harmful and very damaging. It keeps us stuck and it helps us feel like we're not good enough or we're less than. Mm -hmm. Tiny habits and the principles in the tiny habits method have helped me realize the the place for guilt is that that moment that we need, we realize that we need to make a change. And after that moment is realized, then we need to move beyond the guilt and take action and not be encumbered or shackled by that guilt. And realizing that, you know, we're, we're wonderful human beings. We are, you know, we're miracles in the world. We're providing opportunities for other people, you know, as a coach 
or as a professional, or when you interact even with family members, you're providing means for them to better themselves. And so recognize what you're doing right. Let's not get stuck on what we're not doing right, what we're doing wrong. And so move away from the guilt so we can continue to move forward. But back to your question about, you know, how do you balance that when you're really struggling with grief and and really trying to feel okay, you know, basically feel okay with yourself. I think for me, whenever I was feeling some of that guilt or feeling like, I was just talking to my friend earlier this week and we were talking about a situation and he, he, and my husband's name was Brent. And he said, well, what would Brent want you to do? It was a situation where, you know, I was, I'm not dating. I don't really have an interest in dating right now, but I am going out socially with some friends. And I, and here again, it's like, oh, I really shouldn't be enjoying this very much right now. Cause I, you know, two and a half years, I've been a widow. So I'm still sort of early into the process of navigating that. And he said, but what would, what would Brent want you to do? He'd want you to go out and enjoy other relationships and have fun social relationships with your friends. And so, you know, that's one of the things is, you know, what would my loved one want me to do when I'm feeling like I shouldn't be, you know, going out and socializing or something. Enjoying life, right? right, right. Yeah, enjoying life. Exactly. But one of also, one of the ways that has helped me navigate through some of these difficult times. And, and as you know, you know, grief is not just a one year or two year event. It's a lifetime event. Mm -hmm. And so learning how to live with that grief and still be functional and still be whole, even though you have a hole in your heart is what we're here to learn how to do. And tiny habits. And how I've been able to respond to situations that otherwise would have been difficult is it's given me the skills and the tools to do that. For example, when my husband was declining, and I love the fact that you brought up gratitude. Gratitude is the number one most transformative habit that all of us could have and incorporate into our lives. As Brent was declining with his health to the point where he needed help getting dressed in the morning, he needed help brushing his teeth, you know, combing his hair, even help eating sometimes. And and I I needed to send him to an adult daycare so I could work because here again, it's like, you know, I still need to support the family, but I also am a spouse and want to care for him and make sure he's okay. So I was in a position where I had to send him to adult daycare so I could work during the day. I did feel guilty about that at first, but then I realized what's the, what's the bigger purpose here. The purpose was so that I could financially support my family and also be a companion to him and help him while he was at home, while he was still at home. But this got to the point where I started feeling very overwhelmed. I started feeling like, I just can't do this. This is just too hard. And I started here again, being able to tell that I was starting to get discouraged, despondent, and depressed. And I knew that that was not going to be a beneficial uh, mindset for me to have to do anything that I needed to do to support my family or be there emotionally, physically, and mentally for my children and my spouse. And so I thought, okay, I know how to stop this downward spiral of apathy, basically, or feeling like overwhelmed. And so here again, I thought, okay, what's a tiny habit that I could incorporate into my daily life that would allow me to celebrate consistently? Now, let's talk about the celebration piece, because this is the most misunderstood part of the tiny habits method. Celebration is not a piece of chocolate or a glass of wine or even a new pair of shoes. Those are rewards. Those are great but rewards do not create habits. It's the instant attachment of a positive emotion to a behavior that creates a habit. It reinforces that habit and causes it to be automatic very quickly and easily. So I realized that by celebrating or giving myself an opportunity to celebrate, which is releasing endorphins and dopamine consistently throughout the day would help me stay positive, would help me stay focused 
and really helped me show up as my best self in this most difficult time. Mm-hmm. And so the tiny habit that I designed, and I used an anchor moment, which is the prompt for the tiny habit methodology. When you, you design a tiny habit, we have the anchor moment, an existing routine. We have the tiny behavior, which is the new habit that you're wanting to create. And then we have the instant celebration. So it's a sort of an ABC mm-hmm. anchor behavior celebration. You can call it a formula. We call it a recipe because you can revise it as needed. Mm -hmm. So I designed the tiny habit recipe of after I flush the toilet, I will think of one person that I'm grateful for that has made a difference in my life and then celebrate. Mm -hmm. Well, most of us, I'm sure that everybody doesn't really check how many times they go to the bathroom, but most of us use the bathroom seven times a day. You know, so that's usually, so I knew that seven times a day, I would have the opportunity to, in my mind, acknowledge and express gratitude for one person that had made a difference and afterwards celebrate, release, you know, by design, release endorphins and dopamine uh, as a result of that gratitude. How would you celebrate that after having that moment? It, it, it varies. Celebration varies. It can be anything such as, yes, good job or way to go, or even thinking of a, a moment in time or an experience that is a good experience. One of my favorite celebrations is my screensaver, my two Aww. granddaughters. I mean, I look at this as a celebration and it pulls up those positive emotions and feelings that I have for them. And how can you not love the picture of them hugging each other? Yeah. <laughs> right. And then those emotions are the ones that I... You used to reinforce that behavior. I feel good about that behavior. Mm-hmm. So the ce- celebrations can vary. Every time you do the habit, they could be the same. Like for the Maori habit, I do two thumbs up and say, yes, I'm doing it or good job or way to go. My, I don't even, I don't have a name for this habit, but you know, my gratitude habit after I flush the toilet, one person I'm grateful for. Oftentimes my celebration would be reflecting on an experience or a, a, you know, a time that they made me feel good. Like they were so awesome when, or I'm so grateful that they, or that was like, so, okay, I see. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Or just reflecting on something that, yes, I'm so glad they're in my life. Mm. And sometimes I, uh, the same person would come to mind time after time in a given day. I didn't really ever tell people that I was doing this. Mm -hmm. I've, I've shared this with a few people now, but what was interesting is my relationships and connections to them got stronger simply because I was expressing gratitude out in the world for them. Not only that, I was able to move myself from feeling very isolated and alone in the midst of this challenge to Mm -hmm. realizing I had a whole support team Mm -hmm. that was there for me. Mm -hmm. And that mindset shift was huge as well. Because as you know, when you're in the midst of challenges, we feel isolated. Yeah. We feel like we're, you know, fighting this battle by ourselves. Mm -hmm. So this habit was very transformative for me in realizing I'm not in it by myself. I have a whole team behind me. I have people that have impacted and still impact my life in a positive way. And I'm grateful for that. I love that. There's so many things that popped up, but one where you just mentioned, we do feel isolated when we're going through grief and mostly because you know, we're processing so much and we're feeling the weight of these emotions and we don't want to be an emotional burden to someone else. That was my truth. That was my, my reality was I didn't want to share all of the difficult thoughts that were clouding my mind because I didn't want to dump that on anyone else. But what was also happening simultaneously 
was I was feeling the loss of not the people around me. That it wasn't that isolation, but it was that main relationship, right? My my marriage, my person. And I started to spiral. I remember this so distinctly. I was spiraling thinking of all of the things that I lost from having this one person. You know, he was this, he was that, he was at all of these things. And I was just, again, I was lost in this spiral. And then what started to happen because I'm a God girl too, was that I started to get these little, I call them God hugs of moments with the people who were around me, who were loving me well, who were stepping up and, and expressing compassion. I say putting compassion into action. And in every single moment where I felt like it was a void because it would be my husband who's helping me with this or doing this with me, or we would be enjoying this together, a friend or a family member came in. And then what shifted in my mind was what you just mentioned, expressing gratitude that what I thought I had lost in one person, I'm now experiencing through many people. And it was this deep appreciation. And I think that's why I was able to cultivate gratitude because I recognize that having gratitude doesn't eliminate the grief but it helps to create more space within me. And now I have a new perspective that you can go through hard times and you can still acknowledge the good. As a matter of fact, I think that's what this world needs more of because we go through so many challenging times. And when you think about what's you know thrown at us through these airwaves and through the what's coming through the news or anything, it's like, we project a lot of negativity through the information that that we are consuming but because of that we need to be more intentional about highlighting the good and bringing in the good and and feeling grateful for for our blessings that are around us. And it's not because we're just trying to look for the good. It's because we're bringing our life into balance. <laughs> Otherwise it would be all negative and it would be all chaotic and destructive. So it was it was very helpful for me. And I think it was an expansive process to allow myself to feel grief and also to experience the good. Yeah. Well, and I want to capitalize on allowing ourselves to feel grief. You know, at, after we lost our son, my husband processed that grief very differently than I did. There's not really a should. I think shoulds in our lives really are like guilt. They keep us trapped. They keep us from progressing forward. Uh, another really personal example, I have a daughter that has bipolar. She has, uh, re she's really struggling right now to the point where uh, currently she's back in a psychiatric hospital and it's pretty severe. A week ago, Monday, you know, I got up, I was doing my day like normal and I got a phone call and it was a phone call that, that devastated me. She's finally getting the help that she needs, but for quite a while, we struggled with getting her into the right place and getting her the help. So that was difficult. That information that I got triggered me. And when I say trigger, I use that in a negative sense. It triggered me where I was just, I just was dissolved into tears. Mm -hmm. And as I tried to put that aside and get onto my day, I realized, you know, I have pinned up a lot of my concerns and anxiety and, and challenges as a mom and trying to help Amber where I've not been able to make some inroads to get her the kind of help I needed to recognize that. And that was a grieving process for me at that point in time. And so I realized I just needed to clear my day and to sit in that grief for that one day. Yes, Linda. Yeah. And acknowledge that and be okay. I ended up just laying on the couch watching TV, which I never do. Mm -hmm. But yet I realized for my mental health, I had to take a mental health day and be okay with, okay, I'm going to sit and acknowledge and recognize that this is hard and this is discouraging. 
and that I feel a loss at my ability to help my daughter and just feel that for that day. But I knew that Tuesday I would, I would be able to have the skills to get up and make it a great day. Mm. So, yeah. So Mm. sometimes you do have to allow yourself that space to feel that grief and work through that grief and that at that point in time. And that's okay. But what's not okay is staying there. Yes, 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 yes. There's this quote that I love. I uh, said it a couple of times is you can feel angry. You can feel mad. You can feel sad. You can go to crazy town if you want to just don't build your house there. <laughs> I love that. Don't build your house there. And I mean, what you just said is so true. I, I get asked a lot in my work and specifically when I'm teaching stop and shift is, is it this toxic positivity? And absolutely not because the way that I teach and, and what I'm hoping all of this does between tiny habits, myself, you know, whoever is doing this good work, a part of this good army with us is we're trying to give you the tools so that you can feel the hard things. So you can lay down and cry if you need to. You can navigate a, you know, a day where you're feeling completely overwhelmed by uh, sadness or frustration or loss. And then because you have the tools, you can find your way out. Yes. That is the key. That is the key because we don't, nobody wants to build a life of misery. You know, you're not like, oh, kind of life. I I want to feel angry every day. I want to feel bitter and miserable. Like nobody wants that. But if we don't have the tools to consciously take action and find our way out, eventually that's what happens because, and we know the science behind this, that is quite literally how you are wiring your brain is for that to be normal. Yes. Yeah. And not only is it not healthy, but it's not normal. <laughs> You're so right, Karen. How we think is a learned behavior. Mm-hmm. We can change the, the pathways, the neural pathways in our brain by design to, to see the glass half full instead of half empty, to really see the possibilities in life instead of the deficits that we have. So yeah, you're hundred percent correct on that. Yeah. And I, I hope that, and I think that especially our, our listeners here in this community, they definitely understand where all of this work of wanting to be better or living fully or all that. We understand where it starts. It starts internally. It's not in your circumstances. You know, it's it's not in one singular event that happened to you. It is in your mind and how you view and interact with the world, which is all by choice. And I think there are a lot of, we're in a time right now where there is an emphasis on developing human skills because for a very long time, you know, we were thinking about what trade skills, what business skills, professional skills do we need to develop because that's our mode to survival. And that this has been passed down generation to generation, very much focused on vocational skills, if you will. And now there's this new light on, but what kind of human skills do we need that are going to help us not just survive, but to flourish? to thrive. Do you have any particular human skill that you think we need to emphasize in today's world that more people need to learn and develop? Well, of course, my response to that would be yes, the (laughs) skill of habit formation. And so often uh, we try to create habits in a manner that does not work. The old school thinking, the old school approach. And as a result, we get discouraged. We feel like failures because we don't, we're not using the right method. It's not us. It's the method that we're using and we don't know that there's a better way. So as far as skills, habit formation, you know, using the tiny habits method, it's available for anybody to try out. We have our free five-day program. You can find that at tinyhabitsacademy.com or tinyhabits.com. We run it every single week. We pair you with one of our coaches or one of our coaches in training that will give you guidance 
email-based program doesn't take a lot of time. But even in that, those five days, we see people have breakthroughs. Why? Because they have the confidence that they can create changes. They feel successful. The success momentum pushes them through. They get evidence, their own evidence that, yes, they can create the changes that they want in their life and create the lifestyle that they want through their habits and behaviors. That's really what it comes down to is what are the habits and behaviors that we have in our daily lives and are they serving us? Good habits and bad habits are formed in exactly the same way. Yes. So, you know, we want to do more of the good habits. And if you're in the midst of challenges and trials, this is where, and this is where, um, when I was using the tiny habits method to really help me get through the day in a positive mindset and to really be productive and to serve my fellow men, the tiny habits method was very instrumental for me because I was able to design how I was going to navigate, how I was going to do my day. But more importantly, and this is where Pearl Habits came from, I would be able to anticipate those difficult situations or those irritants or those negative prompts and know how pre-design how I was going to respond to that, mm. how I was going to show up as a better person. We all have negativity in our lives. We all have challenges in our lives. And so how can you design to, be, to respond instead of react? When we react, typically it's not a favorable response. <laughs> you know, we yeah. don't. <laughs> you know, oftentimes when we react in a situation, you go, oh, I should have done that differently, or I should have. That's why they call it a knee-jerk reaction. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> but we, you know, what are those those prompts or those anchor moments in our in our lives that we can anticipate that might set us off negatively, and how are we going to respond to that instead? Mm. Let me give you a really silly example, but it's it's this is a good example. A year and a half ago the catalytic converter for my Sequoia was stolen. You know, this tends to be or was during COVID and I think still is somewhat of a problem. This was the only car that I had to drive. And, you know, I'd go out and turn on my car and without a catalytic converter, it sounds like a huge Mack truck. And it is illegal to drive with that that loud rumbling noise. Well, I ordered, I went and took it to the shop. It was going to take three months to replace that part because there was such a run on them. I still needed to drive my car. I forgot that, you know, when I go out to get my car and turn on the ignition, the rumbling would scare me because I would forget that I didn't have my catalytic converter until I heard the sound. And it made me irritated. It's like, wow, you know, it made me just mad. And then I realized, you know, that the, the people that stole this converter, they don't know I'm mad. I'm not hurting them by being mad. I'm only hurting myself or people that I'm going to interact with because I was in a bad mindset. And so I created what I call a pearl habit. And the pearl habit was when I hear the rumbling of my engine, I will tell myself, I'm glad they left the rest of my car. Celebrate. And so it's, you know, reframing the situation into recognizing what was positive about it. Mm. Yeah, it took months and it cost me $2,500 to replace the catalytic converter. That was an irritant. But I was able to diffuse my anger or my annoyance Mm. by my response, by designing that response as a result of otherwise being, you know, irritated by hearing my engine. Right. Absolutely. So explain Pearl Habits a little uh, more deeply. Yeah. So what Pearl Habits does is it's patterned after after the tiny habits method, where there's an anchor moment. In the tiny habits method, you know, one of the exercises that we have our coaches work with their clients is just like a food log, list all of their existing routines on a spreadsheet in any given day. And those are the things like, you know, brushing your teeth, taking a shower, flushing the toilet, turning on your coffee maker, whatever those are, you can attach those anchor moments to prompt new behaviors that you're wanting to create as habits. Mm -hmm. Uh, So let me go, 
explain this a little bit more deep in depth, and then we'll go into the pearl habits. One of my current clients has been struggling a lot with a lot of challenges in life. Here again, she lost her mother, you know, a lot of things that have been impacted as a result. And she's really struggling. When I started working with her, she was in tears because she just was hurting. And so one of the habits that I recommended that she did, and she won't mind me sharing this, and her name is Ina, adorable lady out of London. I said, Ina, how about if we do this? And she didn't want to do the Maui habit. She said, I just don't feel like that's congruent with me. I just don't feel that. I said, okay, that's fine. We won't do that habit. But I said, I wanted her to start creating a habit of gratitude. And so what I suggested that she do is that every morning after she brushes her teeth, she writes down one thing that she's grateful for. And the way I had her get this set up is I said, I know I want you to get a little notebook. I want you to put it in your bathroom right next to your toothbrush. Mm -hmm. And after you put your toothbrush down, I want you to just write one thing that you're grateful for that day. And that's it. And celebrate Mm -hmm. within a week. On our next call, she had a completely different countenance. She was happy. She had, you know, a positivity. She had light simply because she's, oh my goodness, every single day I've been able to write one thing that I'm grateful for. And it's really helped me look for the good in life. Mm-hmm. Which is not only that, at the end of the day, I go back and read through the things that I've been grateful for. <laughs> so that is, you know, the anchor moment, the tiny behavior, and then re- reinforcing it with a positive emotion. Mm-hmm. Well, in the Pearl Habits Method, the anchor moment are those irritants. Some of them might happen on a daily basis, but hopefully not. But what are those irritants? Like when somebody cuts you off in traffic, that might make you upset. What my pearl habit is, when somebody cuts me off in traffic, I will send them a blessing of, I hope you get where you're going safely. Mm. that. So here again, instead of being angry, mm. I've re- designed the response, the positive response of wishing them well, in essence. Mm. So in using the Pearl Habits Method, and this is really what, what we recognized when, when BJ was writing the book and we were collaborating on that, what we realized is over the last 10 years, as I've gone through challenges, losing a son, you know, losing a business, I'm losing my husband, you know, losing our way of, you know, our, our means and our, our lifestyle, you know, all those things. The way that I've been able to navigate through that is by using the Pearl Habits Method. Taking, recognizing what is it that are those irritants or those things that make me feel bad or cause me to be upset and how I'm going, how am I going to respond to that when that irritant occurs? And then of course, releasing a positive emotion simply by saying good job or way to go, or yes, you're moving forward. That's, that's what we're talking about is with pearl habits here again, you know, my daughter, Amber, who is bipolar, she lived with me uh, for about a year a few years ago, and she has a three-year-old. And so when she was living with me, she cycles through, you know, mania and very severe depression. And this was at a state where she was going into a depressive state. And of course I was trying to help her avoid that, that path. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes she would say things that were negative and that just, you know, I, I really worked hard on creating habits of positivity and habits of, uh, you know, realistically seeing what's good in the world and good in my own life. That's been one of the skills, that's a life skill that, that you can develop. Mm-hmm. And so when Amber would say something negative, it was like nails on a chalkboard. It was just like so irritating to me. That, and I realized, okay, I can't let that irritate me. So what the pearl habit that I designed was when Amber says something negative, I will point out something that she's done well in the last 24 hours and then celebrate that. For example, one day Amber came up to me, she said, mom, I'm such a bad mom. You know, Oliver needs to have a better mom. It's like, Amber, 
yesterday you played with him with his train set for 30 minutes. That was amazing. Good job on that. Mm -hmm. And what that does is it immediately changes the energy of the conversation. It also helps her see what she's doing right and reinforces that and helps her feel better about herself. It helps me diffuse my irritation. At those yes, negatives. it changes the energy that you're bringing to the conversation, which is something that, again, we need to own and be conscious of is when we are dealing with other people's stuff. Well, are we adding to that? Or, or are we going to contribute in a good way? You know, this is resonating extremely deeply, Linda. I had a lot of moments flash in my mind when you said this and you are absolutely on to something with this pearl habits and and i know this is also your podcast which i think is absolutely beautiful i will share a personal pearl habit that i didn't know what it was i, I well i didn't know that i didn't have this context and now i'm like oh that's why so when i thought about how my husband died it would rip me apart and there are a lot of different moments that I would kind of focus on when I thought about his death. Well, there was one moment in particular that I just remember it started to become a pearl habit. And it was, we used to be at the gym together every single day as a family. He'd only opened it up maybe six months prior to his death. So it was myself and we were a blended family. So we had both of the children there very, very often. On the day that he died, we happened to not be there because I had to do interviews for an executive level role that I was recruiting for. And so I had to do interviews from home that evening. We had actually just had a conversation a few hours earlier to kind of coordinate, okay, what, what do we do with the kids, so on and so forth. Well, later after his death, when I would think about how he died and I would start to feel physically sick, I would remind myself, but I'm so grateful the kids didn't see it. I'm so grateful the kids weren't there because I can only imagine the level of trauma that that would cause. They would then have to live with that would be embedded in their brain. Now, listen, the fact that they don't have their dad and that he died this way is still traumatic. It is still traumatic. But I don't think anyone would disagree with the fact that if they actually saw it happen, it would be even more heightened. And I just I kept thinking that exactly as soon as his thought, this thought would come in about how he died. I would think I'm so glad the kids weren't there. I'm so, and it's not that it, well, well, I felt like what it did to me, did for me was it allowed me to process more. It didn't eliminate the, the heartache and even the anger that I felt. I wouldn't say it completely eliminated it, but it gave me room to process. And that's a very big component to when we talk about grief and when we talk about even finding the joy and, and holding on to those things, you know, what you just mentioned, even the example of in traffic, well, I hope that they get there well, it helps you to not stay stuck in the thing that could become detrimental to not just your quality of life, but quite literally to your health, because this is what we're talking about here is the way that you live, yes, it impacts your brain and your brain is this central operating system on not just how you respond to life, but also like, how is your body feeling? How is it, how is it operating? How is your immune system operating? All of that. And it, it really all starts in, in the brain and to be able to have a tool that gives you an action that creates flow 
I think is something that, oh my goodness, if my listeners were taking any kind of notes, that is definitely one that I'm sure got highlighted, circled, underlined, thumbtacked, whatever it was. That's incredible, Linda. And thank you so much for having not just the clarity to find that and apply it to your own story, but the courage to share it with so many. Wow. Wow. Thank you, Karen. And thank you for sharing your experiences as well. And, you know, you know that you're hearing truth and being taught truth when, you, when something resonates. You go, oh, yeah, I think I knew that. I just didn't know what it was. Yes. yes. <laughs> That's how I felt about neuroplasticity. I was like, I know something's happening here, but what is this called? What is this called? <laughs> oh, wow, Linda, this has been such an incredible conversation. I am forever grateful that our orbits have crossed. Thank you again for sharing your story and the amazing work that you and BJ are doing at the Tiny Habits Academy. Listeners, go check it out. They do have a five-day challenge experience. You also have a library of 15 different collections, different tiny habits people can build. We have so many resources at the Academy. That's what we focus on is empowering and teaching and training other people how to have a better life and by design. um, We have Uh, We have panel discussions twice a month. All our panel recordings are there almost in every topic you can think about. We have courses that people can sign up and go through that are taught by some of our experts. And of course, we have the certification if anybody wants to use this method within their scope of work with their clients. So, and our free five-day program. So there's a plethora of, of resources there. We're really here to make the world a better place. And so... Karen, thank you for letting me be here and and sharing with you and you sharing with me so that we can make people's lives better lives. Absolutely. Well, it is my honor to be, and again, this good army with you. There are many people who are doing wonderful work in this space, and it is my joy to know you and to just shine light on this resource. Because again, dear listener, it isn't about having the perfect life. It's about creating the mindset and building the skills and tools that we need to get through anything that life throws our way. So Linda, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom here. Thank you. This has been In the Details. If you like the show, tell a friend. For more shows like this, go to success.com slash podcasts.